0: Well uh, take out your Bibles this morning and we are going to be in Romans chapter 8 verses uh, 17 or actually 18 through 27 and if you don't have a Bible you could follow along and you could grab a Bible there um, in the backs of the seats. In Romans chapter 1 really the theme of all of the book of Romans uh, Paul is writing and he said I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ and uh, the rest of Romans is this uh, expounding upon the gospel. But before we actually get into our text this morning, I have a picture here. Um, We uh, spent some time at the boardwalk on Wednesday. That's my daughter, Abigail. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to the boardwalk. There's the one ride where you're laying down on your stomach and it's like an airplane. And uh, she's really freaked out to go on this ride. Dad, I'm not sure I want to go on. I don't want to go on. So she's kind of scared. And then we get on the ride and it starts to fly and she starts just laughing. Just a hilarious, like a gurgle that comes deep from within your soul. Like, and, and she's just laughing and she's smiling. And so I, you know, I, I risked taking out my phone, you know, because I didn't want it to go flying off and hit other people. But I, I took a picture of her and then I took a picture just as we're going around in circle really fast and it hit the sunset and it was just this perfect glimpse. And, you know, when I, I was done and I looked at those pictures, I was like, wow, what, a, what an awesome thing. And I want to share that with you because this morning... In Romans chapter 8, the joy that I had as a dad to see my daughter have this joy, there's a joy that parents go through in seeing their kids have fun. Um, You go to uh, Disneyland and you're, you know, in uh, rides in in Fantasyland. And maybe they're kind of small. Maybe you still enjoy those things. But there's an aspect of it where it's more for the kids even than it is for us. It's kind of like, Christmas when you open up presents and, and the kids open those things up, and your joy comes from them being excited and I want to share with you this morning that in the same way that I felt that for my daughter, that I believe that God wants us to experience his joy that it 's not just uh, he didn 't save us so that we could be Robotrons, and uh, like do my work now you know my holy spirit is in you, and i 've empowered you with these gifts to do work it 's that we receive joy by being in the place that God wants us to be and so we've been having some times in on Wednesdays and some time out why are we doing that it's because in that connection and building relationships we're trying to um, just enjoy one another as well last week I was at a a home for this uh, supper for six if you've signed up um, then it's just six people it's the six people getting together three meals three months and I'll tell you, this last time getting together was amazing. There were two couples that were there, and uh, they really didn't know each other well. Had been coming to the church before I was a pastor here. And as they started to open up and share, all of a sudden I'm listening to two stories that are going on in their lives. And God just connecting the stories of things that they're going through. In fact, one couple feeling overwhelmed at this very time... And, and maybe even feeling like other people don't understand what they're going through. And this other couple had been through exactly the same thing. So I just wanted to share with you guys, when we get together, and, and I've just been thinking about this question, what does a disciple look like? What does a New Testament, I'm reading Acts, and I'm reading the Gospels, what does a disciple look like? And, and I really believe that God wants to be everything to us. God doesn't want to be an add-on. He doesn't want to be a part of our lives he wants us to experience his joy he wants us to experience his presence he wants us to know that he is all to us and so this morning may we take that into heart in Romans chapter 8 and realizing the creator of the universe has spoken we have the written word right before us and God wants to tell us some things now I hope that something within you stirs of excitement and anticipation that God wants to speak to us today. So in Romans chapter 8, would you turn with me to verse 18? We're going to read from verse 18 through 27, and then we are going to look at some of these parts for us. In fact, let's pick it up in Romans 8, 15. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption By whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation is eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God for the creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now And not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us, with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. God's Word. God has spoken to us and shown us that he is Father. Abba, Father. We are adopted into his family. Not just born physically, but in the spiritual rebirth of regeneration, of being born again, there's an adoption that happens and the spirit within us cries out, Abba, Father. Because if we don't cry out, Abba, Father, in relationship, then we're following many times just rules and regulations. And God is much more than principles. God is a living God who desires to know us. And then we realize that our spirit, the Holy Spirit within us, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And now we get into this portion of scripture in which there are two topics that every believer understands and knows. Suffering and glory. And on this side of eternity, we know more suffering than we know glory. But on that side of eternity, we know nothing of the suffering in experience, but we only know the glory. So this morning... I want to start off here in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, with this unworthy comparison. We know that Paul is going through this section of Romans now and to move us from our present walk with Jesus to what this spirit filled life is going to look like and what we can expect. And he begins with this that this suffering now is not worthy to be compared. With the glory that is going to be revealed in us. Suffering and glory go together. But suffering is not worthy to be compared. It should really be more contrasted. The difference between suffering and glory. Suffering and glory. um, It's presented to us in these ages. The present and the future. The already and the not yet. So right now. um, In our present tense. There's suffering in our world. In fact, when we look at suffering in our world, and what we go through today, all of God's creation, um, and by creation, it means nature, God's uh, non-human creation, and God's children, His people, we groan for God to come back, for God to restore things that are not right. I want to share with you two news items that were in the news yesterday. The first one really struck me. Um, It's a... It's um, an account of some violence. When I was in college, my roommate, Eric Bralsma, um, we were both football coaches. And uh, I was down in L.A., from L.A. He said, Matt, someday you're going to coach this big school in L.A. And I'm going to, and he made up a city. He said, I'm going to coach a small little town, you know, in, a, in the country. And we're going to meet in a state championship or a national championship. And he, he said, I'm going to coach a team in Broken Arrow. I didn't know Broken Arrow was a real town. Yesterday on the news, I found out that in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, two teenage boys, for reasons that they still don't know, took hatchets and they killed the rest of their family. They killed their mother and father, their three siblings, one other sibling, a 13-year-old girl survived and the two-year-old was untouched. Now these boys had a desire that they, they were calm when they got arrested and when they got arrested... They admitted to the police that they did it. They admitted to the police that if they had not been arrested, that they were going to go out beyond their family and kill other people as well. And you look at a world that we live in today, and you think, how in the world does that happen? How does that happen? Where a family, when they showed pictures of this family growing up, and what this family was like, they did things together. Their, their, family from, their picture uh, on their Facebook profile was a picture of their family. And what literally possessed these two young boys was evil. Some possession, something happened that caused them to do this. And we cannot only look at um, sociological things. There are spiritual implications as well. It's a world of suffering that we live in. Let me tell you another thing, and this is self, uh, this is for uh, suffering, and this is of a whole nation in South Sudan. One of the gauges of famine is the people that are collapsing in Sudan from hunger. Now we could read that as we're you know that's Africa, the other side of the planet, a different continent. But when you watch the video, it's heartbreaking of this woman who collapses in the middle of the street. The cameramen are just filming this woman. They help her up and then they start to interview her um, when she finally gets, you know, um, her, her consciousness back. And this woman has not eaten in three days. She finally went out to look for work because she has two children and the children are wasting away. And thousands and thousands of people getting into possibly millions are going to die of starvation. And it's not the food that is the main thing. The main thing is that Sudan is in a civil war. And because of the Civil War, there is no ability to get food through the roads because the roads are right in the middle of this conflict. So you watch this thing happen on the other side of the world, and it's so easy to click and go to another channel. It's so easy to think, well, that's not my problem because I live here in Scotts Valley. And everything is fine where I am. I'm in this you know, community where my girls can ride their bikes around. I'm in a place that, that I'm blessed by and, and a, a beautiful place where there are a million people coming to this area so that they could run because they're enjoying the beauty of, of this area. And it's not a guilt trip for us to, you know, it's God created this for us to enjoy. But the reality of suffering is so real that it goes beyond just violence and goes beyond starvation how many people do you know that are suffering in silence right now and in depression but not willing to share with anyone else what they're going through Christians or non-Christians how many of you this morning are just struggling to be here you're trying to hold it together in your family you're trying to hold it together because of an illness you're trying to hold it together because of finances you're trying to hold it together spiritually because you're struggling to even connect with God And this morning, I have the impossible task of trying to convey to us by the Holy Spirit the hope that God has for us, that words cannot convey, that only the Holy Spirit can convey to our hearts if we're open to Him. We live in a world that is broken and a world of suffering. And yet in the middle of this suffering, Paul wrote this earlier to the Corinthians. He said, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen, they're transient. But the things that are unseen, those things are eternal. Now, personally, I can say that in theory. I can say that by faith. I really do believe. Our present suffering is not worthy to be compared... With the glory that is to be revealed in us. I could say that by faith. But I cannot say that by experience. Because I have not suffered the way that other people have suffered. I don't know the kind of suffering that this family and Broken Arrow is going through. This suburban community in which is a, a pretty well-to-do community. And very quiet. Shocking to all of the neighbors. I, I, I can't fathom suffering that they're going through. And I can't fathom not being able to feed my kids. You know, my kids, and, and just like any other kids in, in America, my kids sometimes don't eat because they don't want to eat what's put in front of them. Because it's quinoa and vegetables and they would rather have McDonald's. And uh, they're, they're thinking, I want something else. I, I don't know the suffering that says, we don't have any money for food and there's no food available for you. But in the middle of the suffering, let me tell you who God calls to the witness stand. God calls a man named Paul the Apostle. This man named Paul the Apostle is someone that if a judge were to um, be trying this this trial and there would be a a jury that's there, that the prosecuting attorney that says God is not a good God would come to the stand. And And then the defense attorney would say, no, our God is a good God. And the first witness I would like to call is an expert witness. I would like to call Saul of Tarsus, known now as Paul the Apostle. And Paul the Apostle would walk up to the stand and he would say, out of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, are those people that are accusing me servants of Christ? I am more. I'm talking like a madman. I've had far greater labors and far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes lest one. These are his own countrymen, the people that he loves. If you've ever seen the movie The Passion of the Christ, in which Jesus is scourged and the flesh is ripped off of his back, and in Roman government, that in that system that a man could not be whipped 40 times, but 39 times, and Paul had been through that five times in his life. And it says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes, uh, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. One time he was stoned literally to death. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers and dangers from robbers. Danger from my own people and danger from Gentiles. In danger in the city, in danger in the wilderness, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers, in hardship and toil, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and in exposure. And apart from these other things, there's the daily pressure of me, of my anxiety for all of the churches. Paul is called to the witness stand as an expert witness in two ways. Number one, he could say, I understand suffering. And Paul's experience of suffering is not only greater than mine. It is greater than the collective body of many of us put together whatever our suffering is. And Paul can testify of not only suffering, but of this. He understood glory. Because right after this, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12... After Paul lists all of the suffering that he been, went through, he said, I have to go on boasting. There's nothing to be gained by it, but I'm going to go on to the visions and revelations of the Lord. And now this autobiographical incident, he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. That was their way of saying first heaven, the sky, second heaven. It was space and the stars, the third heaven being the realm of God. And it says, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. God knows. Paul's saying, I don't even know if this was a vision or if it was in the body. I don't know. God knows. I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body. I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which may not be uttered. On behalf of this man, I will boast. On my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weakness. And he goes on to say, so to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of these revelations, A thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me or buffet me to keep me from being puffed up or conceited. Paul is called to the stand to say this in the book of Romans to us. I have been beaten to death. I have been betrayed by friends. I have been in in hunger and starvation and sleepless nights. I have been whipped. I have been scourged. I've been shipwrecked, I've suffered in weather, I've suffered uh, at the hands of, of false prophets that have come up against me and false accusations and of all of these things. And then I've seen this vision of God and if I were to put the two beside one another, I can't do that because it's not worthy to be compared. The scale would just flip over because the weight of glory, the kabod, the glory of God is so much heavier than the weight of this, what he calls A momentary and light affliction. And this morning, I would just bear witness in Scripture to us that it is a light affliction compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. Isn't that an amazing thing this morning? And and I hope that in the here and the now, that the Holy Spirit conveys to us the not yet that we await, that there's a glory that's going to be revealed in us. And we're groaning and we are waiting with all of creation for that time of redemption. And we're not there yet. And yet we live in this hope and this expectation. Now understand this, that in our suffering, God never wastes our pain. I could waste it. You know how I could waste pain? I could waste pain by becoming bitter. I could waste pain by not getting the lessons that God wants to teach me. I could waste pain by not trying to relate to other people that are going through pain. See, in our suffering, everyone's experience of suffering is different. For some of you, it's emotional. It's an emotional suffering. For others, it's a physical suffering. For some, it's relational. It's personal with addiction or disorders. And everyone's experience of suffering is different. But all suffering has spiritual implications. Did you know this Our suffering becomes the battleground. And the battleground is God wants to produce in us something as a result of the suffering that we go through. Not necessarily that God is trying to make us suffer. But when we go through the suffering, do you know, do I know, do I grasp it in the middle of the suffering? God, you could use this suffering right now for me to have faith, for me to grow in in an expectation For me to be able to relate to other people. All suffering has spiritual implications. There's testing. It also comes with temptation to not trust God. All suffering comes with the temptation to blame God and to become angry at God. So there's this battle. Also in our suffering, another lesson for the Christian is this. God does not want us to suffer alone. And for the non-Christian, God does not want them to suffer alone. When Mother Teresa went to India in order to deal with the lepers, realizing that she could not deal with all of them, in it, just an incredible quote, she said, when I deal with one person, I see the face of God. Jesus said, and what you've done to these, the least of my brethren, you've done it unto me. God has put us in this world to help with the suffering that our world goes through. At Seth and Cindy's wedding I was so blessed to be a part of that. It was such a fun wedding. When they took the glass and they wrapped it in a cloth and Seth gosh, stomped on that glass. I, you know, it's, it's part of a, a Jewish heritage in that wedding. I, I just think we should do that at every wedding. Just let's stomp on glass. It's so, it's so fun. But, but let me tell you something that that means. One of the things that it means is it's wrapped in that cloth is that in this world there's suffering. And part of their marriage together is that they want to be a light to this world to help ease some of the suffering that's in the world. Isn't that a beautiful picture of why God has come and he has not only saved us, but now he sends us out to help ease the suffering in this world, to be a part of proclaiming hope. So in, in this suffering, God can help, help us to become compassionate with others. David Pallison said this, Is there a link between experiencing of suffering and equipping for ministry? He said, when you've passed through your own fiery trials and found God to be true in what he says, you have real help to offer. You have firsthand experience of both his sustaining grace and his purposeful design. He has kept you through pain. He has reshaped you more into his image. What you're experiencing from God, you can give away in increasing measure to others you are learning both the tenderness and the clarity necessary to help sanctify another person's deepest distress. It's beautiful that in the midst of our suffering, God doesn't want to waste our pain. He wants to use it. So that's what Paul writes in verse 19. For the earnest expectation of creation eagerly awaits the revealing of the sons of God. So in the suffering that our world goes through, All of creation groans, all of God's children groan, and creation here speaks of all of God's creation outside of humankind. This earnest expectation, the word earnest means this, resulting from or showing sincere and intense conviction. Isn't that an amazing thing? A sincere and an intense conviction. I hope and pray that your hope is an intense and a sincere conviction And then the word expectation, it's a Greek word that is uh, the word apokaradokia. Okay, can you say that? Apokaradokia. Now let me tell you what that means. The word kara in the Greek is a word that means head. Apo is to lift. So to put these together, let me give you this literal definition. It literally means to wait with the head raised, and the eye fixed on the point of the horizon from which the expected object is to come. Let me repeat that. It's to raise your head with the eyes fixed on the point of the horizon from which the expected object to come. Cranfield writes, it depicts somebody standing on tiptoe, head raised, stretching or craning the neck forward to be able to see. Isn't that a great picture? If you've ever been at a parade... You, you know, you're trying to get through and you're trying to see. And, and the, the parade is coming through at eye level. And because the parade is at eye level, you know, maybe it's a, a parade down Main Street in Disneyland or it's uh, the Golden State Warriors in Oakland and you're trying to press through and you're craning the head, you're on tiptoe, you're trying to get up above people and you're lifting up your kids and, and you're sore because you're trying to lift them up to be able to see. And that's the picture of God's people waiting for God. And I hope that that expectation, when I look at a sunset, is not just to see the sunset go down, but that horizon, that I'm looking up. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 21. When these things begin to happen, and Jesus is teaching about the last days, about the world of tribulation that that the world is going into, he said, look up, lift your heads, because your redemption draws near. So instead of looking at the news and letting my head go down, Instead of being so overwhelmed and bummed at all of the things that are going on, and it's okay to be grieved. You know, Jesus wept over Jerusalem. But Jesus said, when these things happen, lift your head up for your redemption draweth near. So this morning, lift your head up. Look up. Let's look up with expectation. Let's be ready for what God wants to do. All of creation is eagerly waiting, except people. <laughs> all of creation's groaning, Creation is ready for redemption. In Jeremiah, God says to his people, in Israel, even the stork in the heavens knows her appointed times. The turtle dove, the swift, and the swallow, they observe their times and seasons, so migration, they go back and forth. But my people do not know the judgment of the Lord. So all of creation eagerly awaits the revealing of the sons of God. Now we are already sons and daughters of God, but we aren't recognized as that in the world We're just kind of weird. We're just kind of fanatics. But you know, there's going to be a revealing where God shows that we are his sons and daughters. It's kind of like in C.S. Lewis's Narnia, where if you've ever read the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, how it's, it's always winter, but it's never Christmas. And the white witch kind of has control, and everything is in this state of waiting and groaning for the spring, for Aslan... Jesus, our Savior. Until that time, there's no blooming. The world is a kind of a dingy gray, not really experiencing the vibrance that God has designed the world for. So in this suffering and glory, in verses 20 through 22, the suffering and glory is also seen in God's creation. Verse 20 says this, For the creation was subjected to futility or frustration, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. All of God's created world, the whole universe of creation was created to do what? To bring glory to God. Um, when we went on the... the um, Gen 1 camping trip. We went on the young adults camping trip. We went into the boonies. I'm talking like the boonies. Where there is no reception. Forest Hill is a city that's in the boonies. We went 40 miles past that. So we went on some roads where the pavement stopped. And it became dirt. And at night. The most beautiful thing is to stop. And, and in the middle of the. T- I was teaching. And we're in Hebrews chapter 11. And I just stopped. Because I was in awe. I just said hey look up. And we looked up. And, and where we live now, we kind of know where the Milky Way is, where we live, and we can say, okay, that's kind of the Milky Way because of the city lights. But when you're out in the middle of nowhere and there are no lights, the Milky Way looks like God poured milk across the heavens because there was so much bright, you know, so many bright stars. And if you look at a universe that big, and you think, well, that universe is kind of big for people. You know, and that's just our own galaxy. And then there's other galaxies that are out there. And the Hubble telescope talking about how, like, there's stars that are, you know, the, the, as big as the sun is to the speck called the earth, there are stars that make the sun look like that speck out so far that we just, you know, barely have a, uh, an inkling that they're out there. And we think, well, this, this universe is too big for us. And it is, if this universe is just for us. I'm not saying UFOs, I'm not, uh, but I'm saying this universe is about the right size to show God's glory. It's about the size that God wants to show that He is the Creator and He is all-powerful. And in the midst of this creation that is meant to bring glory to God, so many times people worship the creation rather than the Creator. Uh, Santa Cruz Cruz County, beautiful. I, I, I personally think when it comes to like weather and climate and atmosphere, this is the best place on the planet Earth. You know, In many ways, I, I just feel like, for me personally, I, just, I love mountains, I love the beach, I love all of these things, and yet realize this, how many people are enjoying this today at the wharf to wharf or on a daily basis that don't give the glory to the God that created this? That this place in and of itself is only meant for us. In fact, when we realize that God is the creator and God is the, the one that, that created this for his glory, we enjoy it all the more. Because we can enjoy the climate and the beauty, but it also does something worshipful where our worship goes beyond what we could see to the heavens, to the Lord who created all of this. So many people have these mistaken thoughts about creation. I just think about Michelangelo's David. Um, I, I don't understand how, why don't, they don't have arms. Why David, you know, it's, that's how they did statues back then and these sculptures. But at that time, that was kind of the way that they did them. They did the sculpture, there's no arms. But if you've seen Michelangelo's David, how long did it take to chisel that out of rock? I mean, it is just uh, pristine. It is amazing. It's a beautiful thing. And when you see that, you don't say, that rock look what that rock did. It is so amazing that that granite or whatever it's made out that rock, it formed itself into this incredible image of David from the Bible. Oh, all hell rock, all hell granite. No, you know what people do? They think of Michelangelo because Michelangelo is the one that created that. He's the artist behind it. And so while creation is subjected to futility, Part of the reason why it's subjected to futility and this bondage of corruption is this. People don't give glory to the one honor and glory is due. As we read in Romans chapter 1. So right now, creation is subjected uh, to futility or frustration. Rotting, mold, mildew, decomposition, erosion, smog, pollution, global warming. Infestation, drought, pestilence, famine, death, creation is subjected to chaos and frustration. Ecclesiastes, in a sense, is a commentary on this. These natural disasters, what insurance agencies call acts of God. It's kind of a funny thing, right? It's like you go and you get an insurance policy. What's not covered? Acts of God. What do they consider acts of God? A tree falling on your car, an earthquake, a tornado, acts of God. No, God is the creator. God is the one that blesses us with all of these things. Don't blame God. Blame this fallen world that we live in. But even Jesus spoke of the renewal of all things. I I want you to listen to this. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 27 through 30, I love the way that it says this. Peter answered and asked Jesus, He asked them this question, and it's kind of about suffering. See, we have left all and followed you. What shall we have? Okay, we've left everything to follow you, Jesus. Now what are we going to have, therefore? And Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory... You who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my namesake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last shall be first. This is awesome to me. There's only two times in the Bible that the word regeneration is used. It's the name of our church. Our our church is based off of Titus 3, 5, that he saved us, not because of righteous works that we have done, but in the washing of regeneration that he sent his son and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. And that rebirth physically is meant to also point out that there is going to be another type of rebirth for all of creation. That all of creation will be renewed. The word regeneration there means new birth, Reproduction, renewal, recreation, regeneration, a production of new life consecrated to God, a radical change of the mind for the better. The word is often used to denote the restoration of a thing to its pristine state as a renewal or restoration of life after death. Isn't that awesome? All of creation is waiting for that time. All of creation groans. So the spiritual rebirth is not just a makeover... It's, it's this regeneration in which God wants to change all things and make things new. So this morning, as we, we consider this, I think like Paul, we have to pause. You know, sometimes Paul would pause in the middle of his epistle just with this doxology. He's talking about doctrine. He just stops. And it's like he breaks into a worship song in the middle of a Bible teaching and uh, when you read the Psalms, there's sometimes on the psalmist says, Selah, which means to pause and think about it, meditate on this goodness. And I just think as we're looking at this, I, I wanted to bring one thing out from the book of Revelation. In the regeneration and all things are, be, are, are made new, um, John is given this revelation and it says, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and also there was no more sea And a sea, by the way, was something that was a very scary thing for the Hebrew people. Um, There's going to be a sea of glass. I think it means that there's no more sea as they saw it, as this um, chaos and this unknown. Because there are other places where there's water and rivers and and beautiful things. So don't don't get bummed like, oh, there's no water. Uh, Verse 2 says, "'Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband.' And I heard a loud voice saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write these things, for these words are true and faithful. Man, all of creation is waiting for that time. All of creation is waiting for renewal. Now, this is not to say that we shouldn't be good stewards of creation. Like, oh, God, it's all going to burn anyway. I know know Christians that have that attitude. rapture's coming. It's all going to burn. So, you know, trash. You know, like it's all. No, God hasn't called us to do that. God has called us to be good stewards. But in that stewardship, realize that the best that we can now is just looking forward to redemption of what is to come later. So back to Romans 8.22, it says, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Since the fall of Adam, all of creation has been groaning with labor pangs. Again, Jesus, speaking of the last days or what will happen in the last days, he sat on the Mount of Olives, and in Matthew chapter 24, the disciples came to him and they said, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus answered them and said, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes and pestilence in various places. All of these are but the beginning of birth pains. All of creation is going through birth pains. And in these birth pains, in the same way that a woman gives birth, for those of you women that have had birth pains... You understand this, they, they grow in frequency and intensity the closer you come to giving birth. Now, this is a crazy thing. It says, for since the beginning, all of creation groans like this birth, like since Adam and Eve fell, there have been labor pings that our world is going through. Women, can you imagine being in labor forever? I mean, I, could you imagine if that was your, like, just I'm in labor and it's, it's forever, okay? For us as men, we can't understand that. You know, I heard before, it's like, take your lip and like pull it over your head and maybe you're starting to understand a little bit of what birth pains feel like. But in birth pains, the reason that, that a couple can go into this or a woman could go into this is, is there, there's a baby that there's a birth of new life that is going to take place, And all of creation groans looking forward to this time. I I think about earthquakes. And I think about the frequency more than ever, the intensity more than ever. I just think about all the way that, you know, climate change and the way that the world is changing is these birth pangs, And the more that they increase, the more that I I feel like it just shows us that the redemption is drawing near. And then in the suffering of creation and glory, um, there's also a suffering and glory For God's children. Verse 23. Now it's not focusing on God's created world. That is not people. Now he's focusing on his people. In verse 23 he says not only that. But we also who have the first fruits of the spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves. Eagerly waiting for the adoption. The redemption of our body. So not only does creation groan. But we groan. I don't know about you guys. I groan. I literally, physically, verbally groan. I I groan. And and, uh, I groan just like it says we also. We groan within ourselves. It comes from within. Because we live in the now and the not yet. We're not there yet. And in the now and not yet, we are new creations in Christ. But we aren't yet perfected. We have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, but we haven't received yet the full harvest. The The first fruits, um, a, a fig tree, when it bears first its first fri- figs, those are not the edible ones. Those are nasty. Don't eat those ones. Those are gross. But but when it bears fruit, that first fruit, it shows us if there's a lot, it means that when the real fruit comes out, it's going to be good. And there's going to be a big harvest. So the Holy Spirit is this Feast of, uh, or the first fruits. It's like the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. It celebrates the reaping of these first fruits. So we've been given the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And now, as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit. We've been adopted legally. We're His. We can call Him Abba, Father. But we haven't yet moved into the home that is being prepared for us. I, I love this picture. Um, our friends, Rob and Michelle, when I went to Russia with uh, Rob and Dave Johnston, uh, his daughter, uh, Ashley, she, um, she came with us. It was in the year 2000. Um, we went to Russia not too long after, you know, the, the wall came down, the Iron Curtain. And um, we were able to go there. And we visited this orphanage. And there was a little girl there that Rob just just loved. Just loved this girl. He went back to Russia in the succeeding three consecutive years so four years in a row. And during that time, they adopted this little girl. They had the process going. And so even though the process of the legal part of the paperwork had already taken place, that girl had not come to America to live with them yet. And even when it was kind of a a sealed thing and there was the approval, there was still this waiting period that everything had to be in place before she would come home. Deanna and I were with them at Calvary Chapel Thousand Oaks where we had the church there gathered and tables and it was a homecoming. And when they came in with their daughter that they had adopted and at that time she was 11 years old by then, she came into a family that was waiting for her. And, and tears of joy and rejoicing. And you know what? We have already been adopted as children of God, as those that have received Christ but we have not yet moved to our home that is being prepared for us. So we're waiting anxiously for that adoption. So we groan within ourselves for two reasons. The first thing is physical weakness and sickness. It's this groaning that um, 20-year-olds don't quite understand the groaning. Um, You know... I, I think 60 and 70-year-olds understand groaning more than the 20, 30-year-olds understand the groaning. And the 20, 30-year-olds more than the 18 and the 16-year-olds understand the groaning. But, but believe me, groaning is a coming, right? <laughs> and, and when there's that groaning, there's times when it's quiet and I'm walking down some stairs and I've had operations on both of my knees and, and it's quiet and Deanna hates it because she could hear my knees, <coughs> And just cartilage rubbing up against cartilage and, and bones cracking. There's a, there's a groaning physically. Um, but I also want to share, you know, and, and there's there's sickness, there's disease. And then there's a groaning that is my flesh. There's a groaning that at times, if you are around me when there's no conversation happening, you'll hear. Mm, ugh, ugh. And Deanna hates it. She, she hates it. it. It gets her all tense because she says, what am I doing wrong? It's not you, it's me. I groan because I'm angry at myself so many times. Because of my flesh. Because of my sinful desires. And the way that I can't control at times my temper. Or the way that I feel bad about a thought. Or the way that I didn't trust God. And I didn't do something that God called me to do. And I failed and I think about it and I groan. And so we've been redeemed, but not yet our body. The first coming of Jesus to redeem us spiritually. The second coming will redeem us physically and all of creation um, at, the, at the resurrection. And verse 24 says, for we were saved in this hope, but hope that is not seen or hope that is seen, it's not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But we hope for what we do not see. We eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Now, here is the important thing. Our hope is not hope so. Our hope is not, I hope so. It's not like this, oh, I'm not sure. Our hope is a confident expectation. And in this confident expectation, it says that we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. People, what is our attitude towards the end times? Towards eschatology, the, the study of last things, of Jesus coming back. What is our attitude? Because sometimes we could err, and, and there's people that wait eagerly. Maranatha, Lord come quickly. And some people can get so eager that they lose perseverance. I used to be really into prophecy in the 70s, but not anymore. I used to be really into you know, the rapture and looking for Jesus to come back on the second coming in the 80s, but not now. Or in the 90s, it really, or in the year 2000. Remember Y2K, for those of you that remember that? It's like, this is it, the new millennium. We're Take us home, Lord. And and, and we could easily, and this fall, there's a lot of talking about the blood moons that are coming and, and the fall feasts in Israel. And, and by all means, yes, Lord, let it be today. I, today, there, there's no plans that we have that, that God would ruin if he came back for us today. um, You know, it's not gonna ruin my day. There's no problem that that would not solve. But some people can run to and fro to every prophecy conference out there because for them, that's all they want. And the other teachings of the Bible are almost boring. Teachings like loving one another and forgiveness and teachings like mission and identity. And they want Jesus to come back so soon. And and yet, we need to have the heart of Abraham that if we wait eagerly, that we, Abraham pleaded with God for a wicked city called Sodom. Now for us as Christians, we should not wait so eagerly for that that it does not cause us to not intercede for the city that we're in. If we believe that Jesus is coming back and it could be soon, it should cause urgency. It should cause more of a, hey, we don't have a lot of time, so we should do something. And then there are Christians that wait with perseverance. Some Christians wait so patiently that they lose expectation. That's the other side of the spectrum. They lapse into becoming lackadaisical, lethargic. They become apathetic, passionless, and doubting. So we need to wait with perseverance in the hope of Christ. How do we do it? Close this morning with this. We do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. In verse 26, it says, Likewise, likewise means beside the hope and expectation of Jesus, what really helps in our weaknesses is this. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. So what helps us in suffering, looking forward to redemption? You know what else helps us in the here and the not yet? It's the Holy Spirit that helps us in the here and the not yet. In our groaning, in our waiting, is the Holy Spirit, the helper. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And here's the blessing. I groan, but the Holy Spirit also groans. I groan, and the Holy Spirit also groans. With, with words. There, maybe today for you, there's no words. You... You can't express, and I understand the grief of a loss of someone that you love. You can't put that into words. You can't express that. We can't put into words sometimes our fears, the anxiety, sometimes anger or hopelessness or depression. But you know what? The Holy Spirit can intercede. And I'm not only talking about the speaking and the praying in tongues, although that could be a part of it. A friend of mine that when his wife left him, He had never spoken in tongues, never prayed in tongues before his wife left him. And he was in the shower and he was crying so that the the shower was raining down upon his face and he was weeping in his shower, just collapsing. And as he called out to the Lord, he just started to pray in tongues and the Holy Spirit was making intercession. What a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit interceding. But let me also say that even within your own self, that at times when you're quiet with the Lord you don't know how to pray, you could say, God, I don't even know how to pray. Holy Spirit, would you intercede for me? And sometimes it's just a groan. In verse 27, now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. I don't know what to pray for some people. I'm sometimes people come to me with a situation that is so overwhelming, I can't, so I don't even know how to pray But it's not a cop-out to pray, God, may your will be done. And would you hear and would you come down and would you do something that you would desire to do? Sometimes Christians, we can pray telling God, this is how you should solve my problem. So prayer becomes, God, would you help this person to get this job at this place in this city because this would help them in this situation. And I don't know sometimes what God's will is. So we could pray according to God's will. And here's the blessing. God is the heart reader. So as the worship team comes up this morning, come on up, worship team, and let's worship the Lord. And may the Holy Spirit intercede within us as we worship for injustice in this world. We should be groaning. The Holy Spirit is groaning. For those who haven't yet surrendered to Christ and are missing out on His love and the peace that He gives... We groan. For Christians that are asleep in the light, I, I groan. God, wake us up. That we would do something, that we're not just here to get blessed on Sundays, but God, we're part of this mission that you've called us to. God, help us to groan for that and help us to groan for other believers that his Holy Spirit would do this work of revival within our hearts so that we have a love for people that says, Jesus, do it again. May the Holy Spirit... Intercede for us, for churches, for ministries that do things just because it's the the way it's always been done. For people who are giving into sin, for a world that has fallen and groans, may we pray and worship according to the will of God. Amen. Father, this morning we pray that Your Holy Spirit would now just intercede. Worship, call upon you, Lord, in your will, the way that you would desire. Lord, I, the impossible task sometimes for us to pray when we don't even have words to express what's in our hearts. God, the impossible task of, of prayer when, when we hear of situations like what is happening in Broken Arrow or what is happening in the Sudan, God, I admit there's sometimes when I feel so helpless, even as a pastor, to do anything about people's situations. But God, remind us that that you know exactly what you're going to do. Remind us, Lord, that your Holy Spirit intercedes, that Jesus is interceding for us. That, Abba, Father, in the same way that our children can cry and a parent can know, I, I know why she's crying, she's hungry. I know why she's crying. She she hasn't had enough rest, hasn't had enough sleep. I know why she's crying. She's missing her mom. God, Father, you are the heart reader. So as we worship you this morning, may your Holy Spirit draw from us the worship, the prayers that you would desire. And Lord, maybe it's a groan this morning, but Lord, you know our hearts and we thank you for that. Thank you that you know us. Draw us close to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.